0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 814 for Monday, May 11th, 2020. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Mac Observers Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found, all of those things that we can take and mash together into an agenda that hopefully allows each and every one of us to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Linode.com/slash dot barebones.com, and Mac.cashfly.com. We'll talk more about each of those URLs and why you visited them later in the show. But for now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are you doing today, Mr. John F. Braun? Yeah, you know, getting by. Yeah, that's it. That's, that, that's mm-hmm. uh, you know... That's the, that's the goal for all of us, right, is staying safe and healthy and productive enough to uh, pass the days. And that's what we're doing here. We've got quick tips and cool stuff found and some questions and all that stuff. Shall we start? Let's get, let's get to a quick tip. Todd sends in, he says, uh, I often select a file and hit command option C to capture the location. I then paste that path into a reminder. Evernote, et cetera, whatever. When I want to open the file, I highlight the path and then I right click on it and choose services open, or you could choose show and finder and boom, he says, uh, what a great little quick tip. I I never even thought about that. Uh, I, I, I like, yeah, what an interesting thing. Just save it somewhere so that you always know where it is if especially if you're like me and sometimes you outsmart yourself and put a file in a space that in the moment that seems like an obvious spot but perhaps later is not so i didn't uh command option c to capture the location of a file and you can paste that anywhere did you know about that one john yeah i think
0: we Talked about it once. If, if you're working in the terminal, that that may be a useful, uh, oh, yeah. useful command. Total. And if you click on the and if you click on the edit menu and you push down the keys, it'll actually uh, it'll actually change. Okay. What's in the menu there to remind you that you're doing something
1: different? Oh, I right. Like it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So command. Option C, right, is copy it as a path name. Oh, yes. Copy as path name. I like this. As path name. I'm going to put that right in the show notes so that we don't forget that terminology. I like that. That's good. That's good. All right. Uh, The next quick tip uh, comes from Matthew, and Matthew says, uh, it always bothered me that I couldn't easily move up a directory while dragging a file around. Finally, I searched for a solution and found an article in a place none other than MacObserver.com that showed me the solution. He says, take the file and drag it to the back button of the finder window, and it will go there. It will follow you, and then you can drop the file wherever you want. So it's the whole concept of dragging and dropping, but if you want to go to a different to the the folder up from where you are, you drag to the left arrow in the uh, in, or the back button, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the upper left corner of the Finder window, and it will go there, which is pretty cool. Nice, I know. I had no idea. I mean, I, I <laughs> evidently we wrote the article. I think Melissa Holt wrote that for us a few years ago. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty good, huh? Cool. Thought any thoughts on that one? No. Okay. Uh, Then let's move on to our cool stuff found for the day. I think that's that's all we have for quick tips. They were quick. John, listener John, sends in a completely non Mac thing, but one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Uh, It's Vention, V E N T I O N dot I O, and it's a machine design website. It's cloud based, you know, three D CAD, you know, computer aided design. But what's cool is you go through. And you can start with one of their designs or, you know, if you know what you want to make, you build it yourself and then they ship you the parts like, you know, the, the, a few days later. And then you can actually build this thing that you've designed in the website. It's very, I, none of the chances are that most of us, probably none of us will actually use this and buy something and have it shipped to our house so that we can, you know, make widgets or whatever. But, um, but it's the coolest thing to go through and spend five minutes just playing with. So I highly recommend it. It's, you know, it's a nice little distraction. So thank you, John, for that. Of course, the link will be in the show notes at MacGeekGab.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for the email so that you get the show notes delivered to your inbox every week. And that way you don't miss out on anything. So, uh, John, do you hear that? You don't, do Right. That's the point. My fans are not running here in the studio, and that is oh. because I swapped iMacs. I still couldn't get oh. an iMac, uh, so I took the 8-core 2019 iMac from the office and brought it up here and brought this one down. Now, to do that, it re- soup to nuts, it was two hours. It really wasn't that bad. I, I cloned each computer. Uh, actually i double cloned it i left their original clones alone and i added secondary clones because you know i was going to be wiping drives so the idea was clone each computer move the hardware and then unclone and uncloning is super easy with carbon copy cloner because you just launch carbon copy you boot from the clone uh you launch Mm -hmm. carbon copy cloner and it says hey you're booted from a clone do you want to you know squirt this back onto onto the drive and I'll say, yeah, and then it, boom, it does it or it starts doing it and it takes, you know, whatever an hour. Uh, but the trick was that I had to think about what interface the clones were because if I cloned to say a Thunderbolt three drive uh, in the office, I was bringing a non Thunderbolt three computer down there to unclone from it. So I had to make sure, really, I just used USB, uh, USB-C drives uh, as long as they had a cable that could plug into a USB-A port, or I used USB-3 drives. And one of the ones that I used is our next cool stuff found. It's the CalDigit Tough Nano. Uh, it's a USB-C drive. It's USB 3.2 Gen 2, which is uh, the industry's current way of saying 10 gigabit USB as opposed to 5 uh, it goes, you know, right up to about a thousand, uh, just shy, 940 megabytes per second uh, reads and like just shy of 900 megabytes a second writes. Tiny little drive and uh, and it's got a little rubber gasket kind of casing around it so that you, uh, if you drop it, it remains tough as the name says, T-U-F-F. Uh, so that's the CalDigit Tough Nano, which I uh, really really impressed with so um, so that was one of the drives that i was able to use to do this and, and there you go pretty cool huh john but now no yes. more fans running here because i'm i've got more horsepower than i need even though we're doing video and all that other crazy stuff so
0: mm-hmm.
1: right it's the idea it's pretty good
0: you got one yeah. for me john yeah i think i got one for you i um This is something I got at CES, but uh, never mentioned until now. But the other day I was uh, actually using it and it works great. So I I thought I'd mention it here. And it's from our friends at Lumi Charge. Um, One thing they do is they make, uh, well, what I'll call a smart lamp. They also make something they call their universal phone dock. And I think it's pretty neat. So the thing that's unique about it is it has not one, not two, Dave, but three Uh, connectors, you, you dial which one you'd like to use to charge. Sure. So it has lightning. Okay. Uh, USB-C and then micro USB. So, um, you just put your, you know, so, so it will accommodate pretty much any device that you want to charge, but it also has a Qi charger. So you can charge two things at once, but then it also has a USB-A port where you can plug something into that as well. So you can charge up to three things. Huh. So I thought it was pretty neat. That's and, pretty uh, cool, and it's on sale for fourteen ninety nine. So what? That's all great.
1: huh? <clears throat> That's pretty good.
0: Yeah, they make a lot of a lot of nice stuff. Cool, um, including this. I guess yeah, they just decoupled the the dock from the lamp, so it's it's like their lamp product except it doesn't have a lamp.
1: Except <laughs> just the yeah, right, right, huh? That's pretty cool, man. I like it. Mm. I like it. Cool. Uh, One other thing I mentioned last week uh, that I'm starting to experiment with different control surfaces here in the studio because my mixer is now logic inside the computer. I'm not using an external mixer when we do the show, which means I want to have faders so that I can, you know, turn me down and up while we're recording. And, you know, if if I need to cough, I can mute me by hitting a button and balancing our audio and all of those things, right, for the questions and audio comments and all that stuff. And this week, I'm experimenting with the uh, Platform M Plus control surface from Icon. It's a very simple control surface, and I kind of like it. It's got actually nine faders. It's got eight faders to control channels and then a master fader that that is built to control the master channel. Uh, Each fader has uh, select, mute, and solo buttons and record buttons on it and a, a pan control so that i can just grab that and of course as you're editing effects and stuff it can the, the faders can can do different things they are motorized faders which means if i move something inside logic the faders will move as if by magic just like we were talking about last week it's got uh, basic shuttle controls meaning record play stop uh, all of that and it's super like simple easy to use Small, but not too small, like, you know, good to, it fits on my desk well, and it's only 420 bucks, which is crazy because a lot of these things, especially when you get into having nine motorized faders, you're looking at like a thousand plus. So I know. Yeah. I'm really stoked about this thing. It's, I've been using it. I used it for another show earlier this week and, um, you know, so far so good. It, It linked right up with logic like it was supposed to. So. Yeah. I was, I'm pretty stoked about this thing. I, I I really wondered when I, you know, saw kind of the baseline pricing for, for a control surface for like a home, you know, project studio kind of thing. And, and they're all at, you know, that thousand dollar plus range. And this one is, you know, way less than half of most of these and it's, it's been great so far. So yeah, I'm impressed. It's good stuff. You got uh, another cool stuff found for us, John? Well, this is actually,
0: Dave, uncool stuff. Oh, no. Well, just a warning to people. Uh, I got an email about this, and we also posted an article about this, but this is just a warning to people, and a lot of us suspected this was going to happen anyways. So you may have heard of Wink, Dave. Sure. I was using Wink for a while, and, uh, you know, it was... Oh... I bought a starter kit a number of years ago that got me into the smart home thing. And it was a link, like a mini hub and two link bulbs, which I'm still using and they still work. Um, and then that little mini hub died. And so I bought the wink hub too, which, uh, it was like a hundred bucks. I got it at home Depot and it actually was technically superior. It supported more protocols than other, uh, smart home hubs. But, um, and then they were, they were having some reliability issues. Like there was a, an occasion last year where their net, their network was like down for a day and I couldn't control any of my devices. That's bad. Um, yeah. So I kind of abandoned them, uh, and got the smart things hub, which I'm totally thrilled with. And it works with pretty much the same devices and offers actually better, um, reporting, like for example, uh, my thermostats, I can actually see the level of the battery where I couldn't with the Wink interface. Oh, so interesting. They, uh, yeah. Yeah. So they, they, they do something a little different, but here's what I think is going to be the nail in the coffin for Wink, Dave is that in the email they said, Oh yeah. Um, you know, in order to maintain our network, blah, 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 um, you're going to have to give us five bucks a month or otherwise you can't talk to any of your devices that are part of the Wink.
1: So $60 a year to maintain the functionality that you've had for quite some time. Yeah. I, I mean, I get it right. Companies mm-hmm. need to make money in order to, to pr- continue providing a service. Subscription mm-hmm. is one way to do it. Um, it's a little weird in a scenario like this to ask for your subscription dollars. Well, after the fact, you know, um, I would think a better way to go about it would be to enhance the service in some way and uh, and and perhaps offer the subscription dollars for that and or offer new hardware. That allows them to bring some money in, and then maybe you know, with the new hardware, you get a year free of the subscription. Uh, if you want to continue using your old hardware, well, here's this. But like, they're not off. There's no path where you can get more than you got in the past from them, right? And and yet you've got to pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a little much. I'm uh, yeah, I'm not into that. That doesn't that doesn't work for me. <laughs> oh. Well. So, so what's your,
0: um, yeah, so I mentioned uh, SmartThings is what I settled on. Do you have a SmartThings hub, or what, what's, I, your, what's your hub?
1: I do have a SmartThings hub. It It is on the list of projects while in quarantine. Uh, clearly, the revamping of the studio uh, and migration of the studio to fully digital uh, was higher on that list, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but the smart things hub is really interesting to me because of the whole webcore thing where you can actually you know really granularly script stuff uh if you want you could use their app if you don't want to code or you don't know how to code but um the webcore thing is really interesting to me so smart things is there but right now quite honestly we are using a our main hub for our smart home is the amazon a lady uh we mm-hmm. do we do all of our I say all 95% of our automations all happen there. Our triggers are, you know, daily turn the lights on and off outside the, mm-hmm. all of all of the, because it works with so many things I've, I've mentioned. There's a few things it doesn't work with like the, the wise bulbs, which, you know, sort of frustrating. Uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it, it works with pretty much everything. So it, it is that great homogenizer. Um, we do use homekit for quite a few little things but mm-hmm. it's you know it's just tough getting everything to work with homekit so um so the the amazon a lady has become our our sort of our standard automation platform in addition to using it for just voice control you know uh, on demand the the mm-hmm. automation of it 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 seems really perhaps overly simplistic but but and it it is. I mean, it has some some walls that you can't tunnel around or or go past. But we've actually found a, a way to live within most of those walls in a very convenient way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Do you use the A lady for any of your automations, oh, yeah. or are you using? Yeah, pretty mic? much
0: anything that is that smart things knows about, um, the A lady knows about it too.
1: But because which place do you virus. have your, like your automations, the, the, if this happens, then do that kind of thing? Like, or, um, I have those in the smart things app. Okay. So you're using smart things for that. Yeah, no, it, that's very capable for sure.
0: Yeah. And really yeah. the only automation that I have is my thermostats and that, you know, I set it to yep. one setting in the evening, keep it cooler and then, you know, at a certain time in the morning, yeah. fire everything up. Um, Haven't really done any more sophisticated ones. I'll have to think of ones to do.
1: Well, you could, you know, if there's motion at your front door, you could have it alert you. Like we have the A-lady tell us, uh, you know, there's motion in the driveway and we just have it announce it in the house. And uh, it's actually kind of nice. I mean, there's times when it's a little, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, 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 we know but um, actually yeah
0: i should try that because uh, yeah unfortunately the the Eufy one that i have while the motion detection is really good um it doesn't integrate with smart things probably doesn't integrate
1: with the a lady either um, um
0: no it, i i added a plug in and huh? it will Tell me, like, if I ring the doorbell, it'll say, hey, there's somebody, the the A-Lady will say, hey, there's somebody at the door. But I don't know if I can get more sophisticated than that.
1: Yeah, because I was trying to use the Eufy Cam 2 as my trigger for lights in the garage, and it, like, that part of it would not link with the A-Lady. It'll link Mm -hmm. with HomeKit, but I can't get my bulbs to link with HomeKit. We've been through this, so, yeah. Interesting. Cool. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm curious how that works out for you. That's good. The other
0: thing I noticed, so I may, um, I also noticed that ring, uh, sent out, did an app update and it looks like from reading the app update that they've actually taken a strategy similar to the UFI, and that they mentioned, oh, we added, you know, activity. Uh, I saw a a mention of activity zones and stuff like that, which they're old. Software for this one doorbell did not do. Right. So, um, oh, that's good. I may, I may, I may go back to the ring and see if it got better because, um, I I was getting too many false positives, um, just due to the nature of where I live, which is, you know, you're pretty close to the street. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, And there's lots of things moving around all the time and it, uh, it, it would misinterpret.
1: Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Time. Well, I have that same doorbell, so I will, I'll mess with it and get back to you. And, and that way you don't have to like uninstall and reinstall things just to find out. So I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you some screenshots and we'll, we'll take it from there. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we've got questions and well, you've got questions really. I mean, I got a lot of questions too, but, but we'll leave mine yeah. for maybe later or, or we'll skip those today. But, uh, well, answer some of your questions and we'll start with listener bruce here who says in these days of needing to use lots of zoom skype etc people are noticing that if they use their apple earbuds that came with their old iphone on their mac the input volume in the sound preference pane will automatically adjust its own input level but that doesn't apply to all headsets with all mics for instance the very inexpensive costs uh the Yeah. KSC 75s also use the mini jack plug, but uh, they don't get the automatic mic level adjustment treatment. Any idea what causes the difference and why, for heaven's sake, Apple makes it so that this so-called feature is not user changeable. Having your input levels automatically adjust for you can be nothing short of maddening. Right. So a couple of things about this. First of all, you if the device supports it, and I think that is that that phrase is sort of at the core of the answer of Bruce's question. But if the device supports it, there are generally if we're using Bruce's example, three places where the audio can be uh, you can set it to auto adjust. One is in system preferences, sound input, right? When you select the device, sometimes there's an adjust to ambient uh, sound. But what you're talking about here, Bruce, is beyond that. It's Zoom and Skype and other audio apps too, like Discord will do this if you're using it, uh, will adjust the input volume of your microphone automatically so that you don't have to think about it. And if you happen to back away from the mic, it, you know you still don't get really quiet. Now, uh, the, this can be maddening, though. And all of the software I mentioned, Zoom, Skype, and uh, Discord – all will allow you to turn that feature off and set the input gain where you want it. So if you know that that's what you want, you can go into those uh, software packages and do it. Now, as you noted, not every audio device allows for this. And where it doesn't, software cannot control it. Um, you can you can sort of hack it on the output with something like um, uh, SoundSource, right? Which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But on the input... No, if the device doesn't allow you to set the gain via software, you can't set the gain via software. Uh, it is set on the device then. And uh, and that's just a, a function of how the hardware interfaces with your Mac. Uh, if you, But your headphones, if they're using the mini jack plug, unless they're using it digitally... You should be able to. If you can't set it in system preferences, mm, that seems a little weird, but uh, you should be able to set it in your Skype and and Zoom settings, or uncheck the box in your Skype and Zoom settings if you want. Because that gain is sometimes the actual like hardware gain of the device, but other times it's just the how much of that audio you're allowing to go through Skype or zoom or something like that. So check in the preferences for the video conferencing apps that you're using. You'll see probably a slider or a button that says, or a a toggle that says, turn it, you know, um, allow it to auto detect. So any, uh, anything to add to that, John? Nope. Okay, cool. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. Oh, and we had, um, we had somebody in the chat room, uh, leave a message, but they, they left it anonymously. So I'll throw this out there and I'll put a link in the show notes. Somebody who's saying again, along these same lines, using a lot of zoom and Skype, what light do you use? Um, cause I mentioned on the show that I use a light panel when we do these video shows now that we're doing them on you know, Facebook and YouTube. Uh, well essentially you get to watch us while we're recording. Uh, or you get to watch what happened while we were recording if you watch after the fact, if you don't watch the live stream. And it's fine. Uh, but I do use a light panel. I'll put a, a link to it in the show notes. It's just one that I found on Amazon. And, uh, and it works very well. Uh, and I'll, I'll find the brand name. I, I can't even remember what the, what the brand was, to be perfectly honest. Viltrox is the brand of this panel. It, it, I put it on a, you can put it on a tripod or a microphone stand. I've got it on a microphone stand and, and it, you, it, it lets you set sweepable brightness and sweepable color temperature. So it's, it's pretty nice. Uh, and I think it was about, I don't know, I think it was like 40 bucks, but it, it it's not available on Amazon right now. I think everybody bought them. So, uh, it was like 40 bucks, but then yeah, I had to buy a stand and, you know, kind of set it all up so that it's exactly where I want it, how I want it, all that good stuff. But, John, this week, you're experimenting with a new light uh, that seems to be working well for you, right? Yes. T- tell us about it. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. I, I don't uh, Who Who? Yeah, you got it for me. Who oh. makes this? Right, it was a <laughs> Mac Observer deal. No, that's right. I'll I'll pull up. Tell tell people what it is, and I'll pull up the the brand name of it while you while you talk about it. Um, so it's basically a a
0: tripod with a standard tripod mount and a light ring. So uh, the light ring is is uh pretty cool. Um, it has both uh, what I'll call soft, uh, soft and uh, it has two different color temperatures, but one warm is warm like and white, yellow. right? Warm and white. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the warm to me looks kind of yellowish, but the, yep. uh, the, the white is, is a bit harsh. Um, but it offers both. And so you can turn one or the other or both of them on. And then there are 10 different brightness levels and they're surrounding, uh, surrounding me right now. And actually, uh, yeah, let's see here. Cool. All right. So that's what the light and that's with the light. Now I'm in the dark.
1: Yeah. So if you're and watching the, the stream, if you're yeah. hearing the audio, obviously you can't see it, but if you're watching the stream, you could, you could see that and I'll, I'll put a link to both of these there. The one cool part about John's is that it has a Mount in it, for either your phone or your camera so you can make sure that the camera that is viewing you is right inside the light ring which is pretty cool um, if unless it's your computer's you know built-in camera and then obviously you know the light ring would just be wherever you position it
0: yeah so i replaced it so so it comes yeah it's adjustable
1: um, you can use either right phone or uh camera right so it comes
0: so installed is um the thing that has like a a, a clip where you can clip your phone. And at first I tried using that and clipped my camera, but that wasn't really that great. And then I noticed in the box, and I'm like, oh, that's what that other thing in the box is for, is you can replace the flexible phone mount with a standard tripod a thing, which uh, cool. any decent camera should have,
1: including the Logitech that I use. Right, so, uh, right. It's great. No, it. yeah, It. Mm-hmm. it, it, it you look good. It's nice having, cons- I mean, the, the benefit of it is, with a light, generally, the light will sort of take over uh, and be the the thing that is consistently lighting you instead of whatever you happen to have up on your computer screen at that moment in time lighting you, which can be kind of weird. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you bring your videos to the next level. It's good. And that, I think that one was only 50 bucks. It's the Ustream Home Streaming Studio with 10-inch ring mm-hmm. light and tripod. So, that's they're both in the show notes. So, hopefully... Whoever was asking will have he- heard this episode and get it, and and or uh, you, you know some maybe some others out there are interested. So there you go. All right, uh, let's go to Nile's question here, and Nile asks, um, "I just wanted to share a, a recent problem and solution." It says I kept finding my MacBook Pro's hard drive with near full capacity and whatever i did to make space there always seemed to be less i was using grand perspective to map my drive and seek out big files to move off the computer but still to no avail eventually i noticed the total space taken up did not match my hard drive size aha Uh, so there must have been something taking up space invisibly so i ran an app called daisy disk which is also great. So, Grand Perspective and Daisy Disk are both apps that, uh, like Omni Disk Sweeper, let you see where your space is being used. Daisy Disk, he says, revealed to me that there were huge files being created related to mail in a container folder. It seems that if you have mail activity logging turned on, then the computer will gen- generate gigantic, ever-expanding connection login. text files that will fill every available corner of your hard drive. I thought this was worth sharing as I have seen similar issues being flagged on Apple's forums and people don't seem to have found solutions. This, at least, was mine. Yeah, that's really interesting. So if you go to uh, Mail Window Connection Doctor, uh, it will do some testing, and then at the bottom of that window is a checkbox to log connection activity. That's what Niall's talking about here. So thank you for sharing that, man. That's, uh, I, I don't know how long it would have taken me to find that. So nice. Fine. That's good. Any thoughts on that, John?
0: No, no. Um, uh... Yeah, I guess it was uh, it was hidden because it's like kind of a system
1: thing. It's a system, right? I think that's it. Yeah, it was hidden from at least grand perspective. So he was using Daisy Disk, uh, which is great. I. I did the same thing this week because my drives are well, same thing for different reasons. My drives are different sizes. The uh, drive that I got with the newer iMac, the one that's now in the studio is a one terabyte SSD. The one, uh, the 2014 retina iMac is only a 500 gig SSD. So moving. So it will come as no surprise that even though it's only been what, six or eight months, uh, I, and I had lived totally fine within the confines of a 500 gig SSD in the office for whatever, six years. Uh, no, not anymore. The, uh, I immediately in the course of those six months blew way past the 500 gig limit and was using like 700 gigs worth of space. So, uh, so I, I had to move some things around and I used, uh, the one in, in, uh, clean my Mac space lens to help point me to where these things were. And I also used clean my Mac to clean up a lot of cruft that was in there. Like, I'm not normally overly aggressive about cleaning cruft, but obviously when you got to make space, you got to make space. And so, I mean, I think I, I like after, even after I moved things and got it under 500 gigs, I then found another 60 or 70 gigs worth of just stuff uh, out there. Yeah. I mean, I was very, particular about going through and not just letting it wipe out. It, 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 it was finding lots of stuff that it wanted to get rid of. But, um, but even, even being granular about it, it was more than 50 gigs of, of things. So yeah, I know who knew. So we'll put clean my Mac in the show notes. You can find clean my Mac in the Mac app store now, which is pretty, uh, pretty interesting. So I thought that that's good. Right. Yeah. All right. uh, Ari has a question for us, John, about 10 gig Ethernet. Uh, and Ari says, "I remember you saying in a recent show that you were thinking of redoing your network equipment to all unify stuff, and that and that you liked the idea, Dave, of doing 10 gig at least for the LAN backhaul traffic." I'm about to do a network setup and wondered what would need to happen in order for the network devices to be able to take advantage of that 10 gigabit pipe. We just ordered a new Mac mini as a server with a 10 gig port on it. Okay. Uh, he says, I would like to order a unify switch that has at least some 10 gig ports. Okay. M- m- far more limited in your options, uh, which is sort of my issue. Cause I want to do unify stuff, but they really only have like one workable option and it's probably too big. Uh, the 24 port port 24 port switch. Sorry. Uh, his next thing he says, uh, I think they have mostly cat five E in place. It appears that they'd need to rewire and have cat six at least to be able to take advantage of that. Probably so. You could try it over Cat five E. It may or may not work. Uh if no other computers had 10 gig Ethernet ports though, would there be scenarios where the land traffic would still benefit from having that big of a pipe? say all six of their workstations are trying to read from the server simultaneously. Any thoughts on this? Is this the type of thing which the, in which the client wouldn't necessarily see a benefit right now, but would likely in the next few years as more and more things to move 10g or uh, are there use cases where the 10g pipe could actually reduce bottlenecking despite workstations only having gigabit ports. So yeah, that's your, your, this latter part is where you're totally hitting on why I want to do this here. I have, uh, my scenario is that I've got like five or six different locations with switches throughout the house and the office. And it's just because of sort of how things are spread and how things are wired. I can't do a home run from every device back to a single switch, which would be, you know, from a networking perspective, ideal, but it's not ideal. It's a house and it's a, you know, 50 plus year old house. And the ethernet was not even a consideration when it was built. So I've got different things. Um, So what I would like to do is have all my switches talking to each other at 10 gigs so that they are not the bottleneck. If, like you say, my gigabit computer in one place wants to talk at full speed to a gigabit device elsewhere and at the same time, two other gigabit devices want to talk to each other. I want this traffic between my switches to be going faster than that so that they are not the the weakest link in the chain or the holdup. But the same is true for, say, your server. In your case, a Mac Mini. In my case, a Synology Disk Station. If your server can talk to the switch faster than each of your clients can talk to the switch, then that means each of your clients has a better chance of talking at their full speed to the server simultaneously. And so you might not, in this client's case, need to rewire anything. Because if you can put your Mac Mini server in the same location as the switch, well, then you just use a, a, you know, a patch cable to plug the two together and make sure that patch cable is cat six or better so that it is capable of doing 10 gig ethernet. Now you've got a 10 gig pipe between the switch and the server, whatever that server is, Synology, Mac mini, whatever. And then all your clients are talking one gig to the switch, but each of them could talk one gig to the server or 10 of them at a time could talk one gig to the server. Now this is all predicated on the idea that, well, can the server talk? Even the the server can connect at 10 gigs. Are the drives in the server or the software that you were using in the server, are they fast enough to go faster than one gig so that, you're able to leverage that headroom. And that depends on how you have your drives configured and, uh, you know, where you're pulling your data from. If it's from a RAID set, the answer is probably, you know, if you've got more than three or four drives that, you know, you, you can pull, you can add the speeds together and see where it's, what you're going to get. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Like, I find with my Synologies, I have them faking their their way to two gig connections, but with two Ethernet um, ports connected, mm-hmm. And I get, you know, I get upwards of uh, I, between two synologies. I've seen upwards of 200 megabytes per second. So you know that would be, you know, to probably 220 would be the 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 limit of their physical connections. And so, like, that's not so bad. Uh, you know, it's better than, than 110 megabytes a second, which is about what I get from like my Mac to my Synology or, or, or from Synology to Mac. So that's the max of the the gigabit connection. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you think, man? Um, I think you
0: should get as many 10 gig ports as you can afford.
1: Well, I don't, I don't know that I would go that far. I would get as many 10-gig ports as you need, plus, you know, one or two. Like, they're... they're I don't know that it's worth spending money on an all-10-gig Switch for a scenario like right. that. Right. I mean, it, I you I think know, those
0: are pretty pricey now. They but are. I've seen... Yeah. And my next Switch, I may do this, though actually everything that I have wired is all in one Switch. I have a 24-port. Right. Um, but no, I've seen some that have, you know most of the ports are a gig and then they have like one or two 10 gig ones. The right. idea being that you would use those for backhaul and stuff like that. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm with you, but you make a good point about the drives too, because I remember uh, benchmarking the NVMe SSD in the latest Macs. you get about two gigabits, right? Or uh-huh. 2000.
1: Two, yeah, I think 20... the last time
0: I did a benchmark, you, you get about two. To, to your point, you, you get about two
1: gigabits. Yeah, yeah, per yeah. Second, yeah. Right? I see what you're saying. Right, 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 right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, um, yeah, I, I, it's, I, I would get it with a at least you know two, maybe four, um, ports, and it looks like. Are they, are they able to do, yeah, they've got a new 16 port switch. That's interesting mm. uh, at Unify. All right. So I might have to check one of these things out. This is starting to, starting to make sense. Maybe I got to look at the pricing on these things because sometimes it's like, oh yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense. I just spent too much money on studio gear. Um, all right. Yes. Fun. Uh, okay. Moving on to listener James here, John James says, I have an Apple magic mouse that is a number of years old, five or more. And for the past year or so, I have noticed that I'm burning through AA batteries at the rate of one pair per month. This is more a curiosity and annoyance than a problem. But I was wondering if you could think of anything, uh, that would be causing this. And of course to help me reset or test it, it's a, late 2012 Mac mini running 10.14.6. He says I have unpaired and repaired the mouse a few times. I've killed my Bluetooth P list file. I've changed brands of batteries. Uh, the distance between the mini and the mouse is about two feet. And he shared some Bluetooth hardware diagnostics, which to me uh, didn't really scream anything, but mm, maybe you saw something, John. Uh, and, he says, "Is it just simply time for me to get a new mouse? Do you have any recommendations? Uh, he says, "I sort of like the touch features of the magic mouse so that I can scroll left to right with my finger. yeah, this is um this is a weird one. It, you know my my thought would be, have you introduced any other Bluetooth devices that would you know, conflict with this or and and or cause it to, you know, what's causing it to decide it needs to communicate?" more frequently, presuming that's the issue. It could just be some hardware issue with your mouse, right? Like that, th- And if that's the case, then we're just guessing at anything else because it would be wrong. But, uh, you know, is there any other Bluetooth device that's causing it to, you know, fight for a signal? Is your Mac staying awake longer? Is something happening there? Is your desk uh, being jostled in a way that would cause the mouse to move and therefore wake up and therefore start using more battery, you know, or is, is your desk on a, on a, an in you know, a slight incline and the mouse is slowly sliding, uh, you know, at times when it would normally have been simply sitting there, you know, do you have a fan going that's, that's jostling things, um, I'm just trying to, you know, kind of spitball about what would cause that kind of battery drain increase. What would cause the mouse to think that it needed to be talking more? Um, I don't know. Those are those are my thoughts, John. What do you think, man?
0: My thought is. Use rechargeable batteries.
1: (laughs) Well, that doesn't answer the question, though. And actually, that would make it worse. Right. Because AA, like alkaline batteries are going to last longer Mm. than rechargeables. So he'd probably be down to replacing it every three weeks if he's down every month. You know, I I'm I'm with you, but that's a that's not an answer to his question. Although, right. right, I'm definitely with you. In fact, I just ordered eight more uh, batteries from Amazon. We have found the Amazon Basics rechargeable batteries to be fantastic. Uh, So I've got in fact, I think they were just delivered while we were recording the show. So fun. But yeah, uh, you know, any thoughts about how to kind of ratchet his battery drain down? No, I'm with you. There there must be. Yeah, something. There's something. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm with you. It's um, it's an it's one of those interesting problems. These are. These are tough things to uh to troubleshoot remotely, obviously uh, but you know mm-hmm. we, we like to have fun with it in fact in the spirit of having fun, but offering a potential solution is uh Brian Monroe in our chat room at macgeekab.com slash stream or live.macgeekab.com, I guess is the one we're we're using now uh suggests do you have a cat because the cat may have decided that sleeping on or near your mouse is uh a nice place to be and Mm -hmm. that would be jostling the mouse more frequently than it used to so uh that we've definitely seen that we've seen cats walk across keyboards and all that so yeah good uh good point Brian Monroe good point (laughs) yep (laughs) we actually did have uh another
0: person that had a mysterious waking problem and they said they did have a cat so you never know you never know
1: all right. Uh, one last question in this phase of things. Then we'll talk about maybe some, we've, we've the Apple's new MacBook pro 13 inch uh, was announced this past week. And we've got some thoughts and questions about that too. So we'll, we'll do that in the next segment here, but to wrap this up, uh, this round of questions up, Ben writes and uh, it, it asks something that might well be a geek challenge. And The, uh, the main question is, mm, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, mm, 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 wow. I, uh, mm, I didn't, I didn't prepare this one properly at all, John. Oh yeah, I I did. I just outsmarted myself. I see. Is there a way to generate a list of all files touched by a given installer package? Um, he's been having some problems with getting his apps just right on his computer. And he wants to know if he can figure out what's causing some problems where apps are not operating the way they should. Um, He doesn't necessarily want to have to nuke and pave his Mac to solve the problems that he's having. uh, And of course he doesn't necessarily want to get a new Mac. So knowing what files are touched by a given installer package be helpful for him. And, you know, John, that used to live in the slash library slash receipts folder, but I looked on my Macs and I'm not seeing anything in that folder. Do you know where those live now? Uh, yeah, I don't.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. I see some stuff there. You do. Um, okay. Dated November 2019. So hmm. not very current. Yeah. That's where it used to be.
1: Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's in a. Well, yeah. See, I've got I, I've got two files in there. One from four days ago, the day that I was messing with things and swapped computers, and then the it's that's install history and then there's a DB folder from November of 2019, but near as I can tell, it's empty. And pulling up uh, using our, our tip that you may not know about: Command Shift Period. To display hidden files in the Finder does not show anything. So uh, in that folder, I mean, it shows things in other folders. So uh, I think that's not necessarily. There's nothing hidden there. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know the uh, the answer to that. Um, <clears throat> Hold on, I can have one. Okay. All right. We like answers. So we're doing John's furious and uh... typing.
0: Yeah, I think you may be able to find them, Dave. Yes, I think this is right. This looks recent. Uh, Private, var, db, receipts.
1: Ah, okay. So we will put that folder in the show notes, and then I will go to the finder's go, go to folder menu, and I will paste that in, and it will bring me there. And yes, that's where they live now. Right. And they are plist files. And I can see at least some of what went on here. There's the bill of materials and the plist files, the BOM file and the plist file. It looks Mm -hmm. like the bill of materials might well be the thing that you want to, uh, to look at, but that could be, I'm not sure if that's a thing. Uh, but let's see what happens. No, the bill of materials is not openable by BB edit. It is a binary file. So I don't know how to read that bomb file, but that there is, yeah, that's where they are for sure. This is certainly things. Yeah. Yeah. This is not just stuff from the Mac app store because I'm seeing, uh, software from like this, this interface that I installed and that was just using their installer. So yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Nice find, man. Yeah, so we just got to find a way to to read this bill of materials file, the B O M. Um you
0: may be able now the other thing to uh discover what an installer is installing, Dave, is you could actually pop open the
1: installer. <clears throat> right? Well, uh, say that again? Oh, oh, looking oh. like in the package, you mean? <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, so you can either say open package or there's a program that I've used for forever to deal with installers and that's something called pacifist
1: okay oh yeah I right, remember pacifist pacifist might be your friend here yeah right from Charles soft right
0: that's yeah that it. that's that, that's uh, pacifist lets you see some details of a installer that you otherwise may not be able
1: to see. So I wonder if pacifist would open those bill of materials files too. Yeah. Let's not find out now. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I agree with that, but that's, that's interesting. All right. Well, we will put a link to pacifist in the show notes. Yeah. And if you folks have any thoughts on this, please let us know at, uh, at feedback at MacGeekab.com, Of course. Mm,
0: I, I actually prefer feedback. At
1: MacGeekab.com, Dave. Right. Yeah. No, I like feedback at MacGeekab.com. That's oh, uh oh, okay. that's we're gonna do that. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. right. <laughs> All right. John, I would like to take a minute here and talk about our first few sponsors, if that's okay with you. Okay. And as long as I can find the sponsor stuff, maybe uh, you know what? Maybe we revisit this in a couple of minutes, John. I don't know why I can't find this stuff here. We'll do a question. Let's talk about the new MacBook Pros. and then we'll and then we'll talk about the sponsor stuff. How's that sound? Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I set up a script to do this last week, and I realized an error in my script to make all of this work. So, we will move on to the new MacBook Pros, and we will make it work the next time. I just won't get over complex with it. But it's okay. It's all good. Uh, the, the new 13-inch MacBook Pro came out this week, and uh, this is great, right? Because it's essentially the 13-inch version of what you just got, John, the 16-inch mm-hmm. MacBook Pro, which is Awesome. But it's weird in terms it it mostly is, right? Because the um the the CPU options in this are a little bit weird because they're not all the the new you know, uh whatever 10th gen CPU. They like the the lower end models I think are the 8th gen CPUs which is where it starts to get a little bit strange but they do all have the magic keyboard which is key i think uh so because that that gets rid of the butterfly keyboard for any macs now right because the the macbook air doesn't have the butterfly keyboard anymore and now the 13 inch macbook pro nor the 16 inch macbook pro of course have these butterfly keyboards so Uh, But the CPU options start to get a little interesting, and listener Ben uh, will start us off with uh, sort of a a question uh, about this, and uh, he says, I'm excited about the new 13-inch MacBook Pro because I've been planning to get one to replace my 12-inch MacBook from 2015 instead of the MacBook Air, and I'm not 100% sure about this, but I have some time because I plan to buy refurbished later in the summer. Smart. Yep. Uh, That aside, here's why I look forward to you speaking about the new model uh, in the show. I priced out two high-end configurations, one with the 8th-gen i7 and one with the 10th-gen i7, each with 16 gigs of memory. The difference is only $100. Any idea why that might be? What would lead a buyer to choose the slower, older CPU? Also notable is that the memory on the ladder is 75% faster. Well, that's because the way the new CPUs work. Uh, He says, I look forward to seeing some benchmarks on these. Yeah, same. Uh, The MacBook has been too slow for my needs, and I'm unsure if the MacBook Air would be enough of a leap forward. I'd use this Mac when traveling, both inside my house and outside When away from my desk, I don't think I'd need more than eight gigs, but I'm pondering my future computing needs as my 15-inch MacBook Pro ages. Uh, I might end up replacing the larger laptop with an iMac, but that probably won't be for a few more years. Yeah, so, right, uh, we had this same head scratch about the configurations. And I can't imagine a world in which I would recommend spending $100 less and getting the, you know, two-generation older CPU. And slower, you know, system bus and therefore slower RAM and all of that, that stuff. Uh, eight gigs of RAM is enough, but uh, if it were my machine, I'd buy 16, right? This is one of those things where you, but well, we should tell you what we say, but also tell you what we do. Uh, I, I have experimented and really the only place where I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the only place where eight wasn't enough was when I left Firefox open while it was asleep and my RAM bloated up, and my system was thrashing. But other than that, uh, eight's been plenty on the MacBook Pro, the non-13, the MacBook Air. Sorry, the 2020 Air that I've been testing here. So, uh, but I I would buy it with 16, you know. So I'd take that for what it's worth. I think I think you would do that too, John. Just to, just as an insurance policy, if nothing else. Oh, I did. I know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and when I did, I did. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Same. That's true. Yeah. My MacBook Air that I bought for me is is 16, so for sure. So um any any thoughts on that, John, about the the new processors in the 13 inch MacBook Pros? The
0: one thing I noticed, I don't know if this has always been the case with the the smaller MacBook Pros. Yeah. But this only offers integrated graphics.
1: Okay, even on the higher end one, is that right?
0: Uh, I looked at the side by side and it, it's different flavors of Intel, whatever they call it.
1: Yeah. 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 Intel Iris Plus or whatever it is. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So
0: that's okay. uh, one thing to note is that if you need or think you need, and at least when I bought mine, I thought. <laughs> so the 16 inch uh, also comes with a. Uh, discrete uh Radeon right graphics as well huh. so um keep that in mind that uh, if if you want if you're going to be doing a lot of graphics this may not be the machine for you
1: yeah and and let's not um let's not pigeonhole that into graphics the GPU now with metal as part mm-hmm. you know so integrated into the OS if you're doing any kind of, I mean, it depends on what the software, but, but like, you know, Final Cut Pro will leverage the heck out of your GPU to do all of its effects and things like that. There's some things mm-hmm. in Logic that do this, right? And Logic isn't using yep. graphics, but it's using the GPU because Metal is right there. I know that Premiere doesn't use a whole lot of the GPU from, from what I'm mm-hmm. told, right? So, you know, depending on what you're using, find out if they're leveraging Metal not for video or not for graphics, but for calculations, because mm-hmm. that will make a difference for for you too. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I hadn't uh I hadn't picked up on that. Nice catch. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, I don't know why you'd get the slower CPU or the older CPU, I want to say, right? Because it's a it the top of the line one is a 2.3 gigahertz quad core i7, 10th gen. Um, and then, uh, let's, let's look at what else we've got here. MacBook Pro. No, no, no. MacBook Pro 13 inch. Yeah. Uh, Mac will go 13 inch and the, the lower end one is, well, you've got a couple of options here. You can get the 1.4 gigahertz quad core i5 or the 1.7 gigahertz. Uh, Quad core i7, both of those are eighth generation, not tenth generation processors, and yeah, the the RAM is the twenty one thirty three megahertz RAM in the old ones, and the thirty seven thirty three megahertz in the new ones. So, yeah, it just I don't I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't see the um I don't see the the benefit there. So if we do sixteen gigs of RAM in both of these, uh, five twelve gigs storage, sure. Uh, we're at nineteen ninety nine and eighteen ninety nine. That's I'm not. I wouldn't save a hundred bucks to do that, John. Would you? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, there's no way. I, I don't. I don't see it uh we did have one other question from Bill about this I'm going to look through it quickly here oh bill bill actually built a really nice chart actually I'm kind of hoping that bill would would post this in our forums at MacGeekUp.com slash forums because it goes he went through and highlighted all of the differences including like memory speed and um, the speakers on these new MacBook air 13 inch on the the ones with the 8th uh, gen processor, the the really, so there's three sort of chunks of this. There's the really low end with HN gen processors. There's the middle end with 8th gen processors, and middle isn't an end, but we'll call it that anyway today. And then uh, the high end with the 10th gen processors. The low end has stereo speakers. The middle and high end have stereo speakers with high dynamic range, so if that matters to you. Uh, and then, and then memory speed, and then of course just the generation of the processor. Sort of the differences there. But he built us a nice chart. So uh, hopefully, Bill will share that in our uh, or allow us to share it in the forums at macgeekupcom forums so we can all see it. Yeah, pretty cool, Mr. Braun. All right, Mr. Braun, I would love to take a minute and talk about our sponsors here, if that works for you. Okay. All right. Our first sponsor for today is Linode at linode.com slash MGG. And that's where you're going to go to get a $20 credit added to your account just for starting an account and being a Mac Gab listener. And what you can use that credit for is to start experimenting and playing with the servers that you can set up at Linode. Their least expensive server is their $5 a month Nanode server, so you can go and start playing right now, experimenting with what you're going to use this server for. And you've got four months of credit to use right now. So what are you waiting for? Because Linode lets you do basically anything that you would need to do with a server. You want to set up WordPress? Great, no problem. And you can do it yourself from the command line if you're into that sort of thing. Or if you're not, you can use their cloud manager and set it up without ever having seen a command line. They've all got native SSD storage. They're all on their 40 gigabit network, industry-leading processors. You can pick from any of their 10 worldwide data centers, and you pay for what you use. So you can leave it up for a month, and then you'd pay for the full month. But if you only want to use, you know, hours at a time, great. No problem. That's how Linode works. Super easy, super flexible, and super robust. You've got to go check it out. Go to linode.com/mgg. Get that twenty dollars credit and get started. Our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. Our next sponsor is BB Edit, specifically BB Edit 13 at barebones.com. And I have been having so much fun with BB Edit, and I know it's crazy to say that about a text editor, but it's true. I've been having fun, and the thing that lets me have fun lately is their grep cheat sheets, right? Regular expressions. These are a thing that have always eluded me. I wind up needing to use them occasionally. I don't want to say regularly because A, that's not true, and B, that'd be a really bad pun. But occasionally I need to use uh, regular expressions, and I can never remember how to do it. So that used to involve digging in and finding some web page that was going to sort of show me this. No, not anymore, because... I can go play in their pattern playgrounds inside of BB Edit. This is, in addition to this being a world-class text editor, like the best text editor that lets you do all the things we've always talked about, comparing documents, editing code, editing, and all kinds of things right there. Yeah, they've got this grep cheat sheets and pattern playgrounds there so you can test your stuff out and know it's going to work before you send it up to your server or apply it to your searches or whatever it is that you're going to use it for. Great stuff. you've got to go check it out. go to barebones.com and download your copy of BB edit. you get a 30 day free trial and then uh, and then actually most of these things, most of these features will stick around after the 30 days. the pattern playgrounds and grep cheat sheets. they're part of the paid portion of BB edit, but you can also just pay for it at the end of the 30 days. but you get it all for 30 days. So go barebones.com check it out. Our thanks to barebones for sponsoring this episode. And now we come to cashfly at mac.cashfly.com. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. You've heard us mention their name at the end of every episode for well over a decade because they provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. What they also can do is help speed up your website. We're going to start using these folks with Mac Observer here because we've been working on a lot of our SEO stuff. And getting those light speed scores, those page speed insight scores to go up is a chore. Well, Cashfly's web optimization platform can help with this. So you got to check them out. Go to mac.cashfly.com because they're going to provide you a free optimization consultation. Just because you're a listener of this show. So you can know exactly where your site stands. And you get your Lighthouse score report, and you get to learn how CashFly's web optimization solution can help add 60 points instantly to your score. That's a huge thing because it's out of a hundred. So think about this. Speed matters. A lot of people leave websites when they're not fast enough. So making your website fast is a huge part of that customer experience and that business experience. So go check them out. Mac.cashfly.com and our thanks to cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you and for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, let's, um, let's talk to Steve, shall we? Okay. All right. Steve, uh, posted in our forums, And, uh, and he's got a couple of Apple IDs, and he wants to know how to manage life with them specifically. He says, uh, with my two Apple IDs, I have one that I consider my main one where all my purchases are done, app store, hardware, et cetera. And a second one that I created when Apple launched dot Mac, uh, which is essentially now iCloud, uh, that second account is mostly my iCloud account, he says, where I manage all my emails uh, and all my, he says, his Gmail and Yahoo are forwarded to his uh, to his iCloud or, .Mac, or at Mac.com account. Uh, all of his contacts are synced there, his calendars and such. He says, and I pay for a little extra storage on that second account as my iCloud account as the five gigs is not enough for me at the moment. My current way of managing this is to have iCloud as my main account on Mac and iOS in the device account, and in the iTunes App Store, I use my purchase account. I find this to be usable, but it is a bit messy to manage. Um, He says, I'm subscribed to the free tier, for example, of Apple Music for three months uh, with my purchases account. I canceled the subscription before the end of the trial, and last week I received a $10 monthly bill on my iCloud account, Not even the account where I thought I did the initial subscription. I had to call Apple to request a refund, which, of course, uh, they will do. Uh, He says, when I called Apple, I also asked if merging two accounts like I want to do is possible. But as you likely already know, Apple did not uh, evolve on this answer. It was a hard no. He says, When they suggested to me to, what they suggested to me is to create a family sharing setup with these two accounts to kind of merge them together. They sent me a link on how to do family sharing, but it wasn't very helpful so far. What I understood is that I should use my buying account and make that the parent main account. And I should add my iCloud account and make that a family member. Uh, So he says, instead of messing up my accounts, I called again and I got a different person that proposed something similar uh, but after a long discussion and multiple trial and errors, we both realized that's not really the most efficient answer. And, uh, they suggested I should probably start using my iCloud account from now on for purchases and disregard my older purchased account. So this is, um, and there's some great discussion in the forums about this. I highly recommend going and checking it out if you, if you have this, cause there's a lot of little nuances there and we may get to some of them, but not all of them. Uh, I'm not so sure that I would go with Apple's advice on the first round. My experience with this has been to use the iCloud account as the main iCloud account. And then in the purchases settings, so, you know, on your iPhone, that would be settings, iTunes and app stores. Put the secondary account, the one that you have made your app purchases with there Uh, And that I, I don't have this issue with my accounts, but, but Lisa, my wife does and it works out great. That's how she does it. And it's almost a non-issue. We almost forget that she's set up that way because it works so well. So I'm, I'm wondering, I think your issue is that you are trying to merge these when you really don't have to, Uh, it would be better to don't get me wrong. You know, it would eliminate all sources of confusion if Apple would let us merge these, but they won't. And so having one account for your purchases and one account for your iCloud, but there will be things where your app purchases don't match your services purchases, right? Because your services purchases are happening with your iCloud account your app purchases are happening with your, uh, the, the account that's listed as your purchases, uh, you know, account there. And that part's a little weird, uh, but it, it does work. So uh, that's, that's how I would, that's how I would deal with it. Do you have any, I know you don't deal with multiple accounts, John, but do you have any thoughts on this? Um, actually I do have multiple accounts. Um, Um, well, almost
0: everything. uh, So I have a primary Apple ID, that I use for almost everything. Okay, for some stupid reason, Apple, when I joined the developer program, would not let me use that one. So I had to use a different. Huh. I had to create a, a another one. Yeah, they may have fixed that. And actually, I remember I no. just got an email saying, "Recall or, or uh, restore or um, uh, renew your membership." So I got to remember to do that.
1: Yeah. No, the the developer account. Uh should be a separate one and it's a pain in the neck because it it has to have mm-hmm. two factor authentication so you have to set up a separate user account mm-hmm. to do that on on your mac yep. yeah yep yep I, if you're in that scenario what i have done so that when i try to log in i don't have to go and log into that other user account is i set mm-hmm. it to do two factor to my cell phone so it, mm-hmm. it's not the shows up on your device. It's just texts you kind of old school two factor style. And that way I can mm-hmm. do it no matter what. So yeah, yep. so there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 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 All right. Any, uh, any other thoughts on that before we, before we move on to another one that's <laughs> sort of related? Cause that's how things oh, go here okay. in Mackey Kevland. All right. All right. Uh, listener, John, says uh he's got some creative use of multiple Apple IDs. He says I have a tip for couples with multiple shared accounts that I would like to share. Recently, I told my wife she had a text message from one of our kids. She asked me, "How do I know this?" I said to her, "Well, all of your text messages show up on my MacBook Air, but I ignore most of them. Most of the time, uh, uh but he says I was getting tired of the message notifications. This may have happened when we updated her iPhone 6 and my Android phone to the iPhone XR a while back. Before upgrading, I had one Apple account and she used my account with her old phone. After upgrading, I created another iCloud account uh, for my phone. My wife's iPhone and my MacBook Air were still sharing the same iCloud account. I didn't wanna change my MacBook Air to the new account because uh, I still wanna access and sync the photos associated with my original iCloud account. To solve this problem, I was able to open preferences for the Messages app and sign out of my original Apple account, and then sign in to my second iCloud account with my phone number. My MacBook Air is still on the old iCloud account, and in uh, in iCloud preferences, and Messages is on the new account. I thought I might want <clears throat> to pass this tip along. Yeah, so this is interesting because you're you can on your Mac you can and you can do this on your iPhone too. You set your main iCloud account, but then you can go in to messages and FaceTime and uh, I think in the music app, right? I mean, there's a lot of different places where you can sign into a different iCloud account to really sort of, you know, granularly manage a scenario like this where they want to share some photos, they want to have that going on, but don't want to have messages synced. So you can, you can go in and and do that. It, you, I recommend building a little spreadsheet for yourself so that you know, which account should be signed in to what service on which device. Otherwise you might drive yourself crazy. If, if if things get like wiped out or whatever, trying to remember, wait, wait, wait a minute, you know, which ones did I do? But, um, but yeah, there you go. I I think uh, I, I, I like it, you know, it's crazy, but I like it. Thoughts on that, John No, nope, we're good okay all right <laughs> uh all right we have uh we have a lesson from listener andrew if uh if I can make the audio work for this Hey John, hey Dave. This is Andrew in Australia. I'm actually contacting you to shake my fist at Dave. Uh, he had a uh, he read through a letter from a listener today who's starting a collection of old Macs, and he spoke about the Bondi Blue uh, iMac. Uh, that's actually Bondi Blue, not Bondi Blue. Bondi is a place in Australia. It's a big beach in Sydney, and you pronounce it Bondi, as in B-O-N-D, hyphen E-Y-E, even though it is spelt Bondi, B-O-N-D-I. So it's Bondi, and it's Bondi Blue. Dave, you got caught. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) I love the weakest link reference. That's awesome. Uh, That's great. I I happily stand corrected, or at the moment, I sit corrected. you know, I learned my pronunciation <clears throat> of Bondi from the way Apple has said it over the years, or at least the way I recall Apple saying it over the years. But Apple has a long track record of mispronouncing things like El Capitan or El Capitan, as they call it. So, uh, yes, I got caught indeed. And uh, so there's at least one of my five things for uh, for the week, John. It's good. <laughs> the missing link. I like it. It's good.
0: Tomato, tomato. <laughs>
1: Yeah. There you go. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh we got time for a few more here. And uh let's Oh yeah, we were talking about the iPhone SE, the uh, the 2020 iPhone SE in last week's episode and listener Brian writes in uh and says uh, I, too, recently picked up the new iPhone SE to replace my old iPhone SE. And he says, I agree with the points and benefits of the phone and wanted to add a couple of more. One that you guys didn't highlight is, oh, I guess we did highlight the A13 processors. One we did and one we didn't. He says, not only is it the newest processor, but the importance is that it should be supported for several more years. Well, older processors are that much closer to uh, being end of life and that or phones with older processors are that much closer to being end of life. Yeah, that's a great point. It resets the clock. So this phone is a current phone as of today, which means software updates for it, uh, you know, have that longer shelf life, which is good. That makes a huge difference. And he says the second benefit that I'll add is the addition of Wi-Fi 6 that the iPhone S E has the uh it is the iPhone S E twenty twenty and the iPhones eleven, all of them have iPhone have Wi Fi six, but that's it. Uh, he says, while it may not do me much good right now, I will eventually update my home router, and when I do, I'll hopefully be able to take advantage of the faster speeds and longer range that comes with that and all of that good stuff. So, yeah, very good points on that, Brian. I, I had completely neglected when we talked about it last week to mention Wi-Fi 6, so thanks for bringing that up. It's good. Any, uh, any thoughts, my friend? <sighs>
0: Wow. Well, that may be another thing for me to
1: consider. Yeah. Whether I should upgrade or not. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Because form factor wise, if you're if you're coming from the eight, right, so it's exactly mm-hmm. the same. Like your case would work, your car mounts would work. Like there's nothing mm-hmm. different. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um. All right. Listener Doug shares with us a quick one about um, ten dot fifteen dot four. But not 10.15.3, and according to the betas, not 10.15.5, although it's not out yet, uh, at least not as of the moment we're recording this episode, causes some RAID issues uh, when copying files between, um, you know, to your RAID. And there's there's a way to solve it, and we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, Otherworld Computing has sort of sussed through this because it's what those folks do. But, um, but they, they found a, it, it will hang when, uh, when copying files to, uh, to your, from like, you know, from your camera to your RAID or whatever, if it's direct connected to your Mac and they did find a temporary workaround. I'm sure that this post was written by Tim standing because he is so smart with this stuff. Yeah, it's Tim standing, of course. Uh, but, uh, but you, you disable system integrity protection temporarily and then, Set a boot argument that says dart equals zero, and near as I could tell John i that dart equals zero it, it disables v t x, which is a feature of the Intel processors. It may do mm. other things too. I don't know, but that seems to be what that does. I don't know why that would cause a hang when copying to a direct attached raid, but uh, but anyway, that's you know that it. This is a temporary problem there and a temporary workaround because the fix uh, is almost certainly coming in 10.15.5. So, um, so just a, a heads up. Uh, yeah, they say that uh, OWC says that in 10.15.5 beta 3, they've confirmed that this hang no longer occurs. So hopefully it stays that way. Thanks, Doug, for the heads up. So if you've got RAID stuff, um, you know, there you go. Uh, let's see. We've got some other updates here from last episode. Dominic writes in and says, you know, we were talking about virtualizing, uh, in, uh, parallels to run those games that Catalina won't run because they were 32 bit John. And I Mm -hmm. posited whether windows was better. You chose the windows path, uh, largely because it sounded like that's what parallels advised, uh, And it turns out, uh, at least according to Dominic here, he says, it's my experience that anything that hits the GPU hard does not run well uh, or at all in a Mac OS virtual machine hosted by Parallels, even if one gives the VM plenty of RAM, graphics RAM and CPU cores. He says, I'd say that if you want to run games in a Parallels VM on a Mac, Windows is the way to go. And he kind of gave some examples of several games that he plays and and sort of A-B tested between the two, and it was no comparison. If you want to run games and virtualization on your Mac, Windows is is the way to do it. So, there you go. How um On that line, I meant to ask you this last week, John. How did you, like, where did you get your copy of Windows? How are you managing that? I know there's a, a million different ways to do that. Um, hmm. <clears throat> All right.
0: I'm trying to remember where I, I, I got a key from uh, uh, a former life. Let's uh, okay, uh, let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> from like the developer program or something? Uh, yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Well, I know because I know that there's the, there are the, and it might be part of the developer program, but you can get those three month trials of windows. And I think parallels will even like offer to go grab one of those for you while you're setting up a virtual machine. Uh, so that you can, you know, kind of at least do it for three months yeah, and you so, got to do it again. So it was
0: a key for windows seven and then they had a free update to windows 10. So I did that. Cool. So I'm running windows. Well, actually, <laughs> so I actually have an XP VM just, you know, to. Yeah, why not? Remember the the good old days. Yeah. Um, So I have an XP, Windows Seven, and Windows Ten. Actually, I think I jettisoned Seven because Seven is kind of end
1: of life, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, two more from eight thirteen. Robin writes in. We were talking about AirPods and swapping them bet- bet- between devices, and. Uh, He says, I have both AirPods 1 and AirPods Pro, and I use them both interchangeably between my iPhone XS and iPad Pro 2020, and also occasionally on my Mac Mini or MacBook Pro. My solution for connecting or changing connection on my iOS device is quite simple and very quick. Number one, pull down uh, from the top right-hand corner. So, okay, yep, get to that menu. Tap on the little round icon, the AirPlay icon, if you will, in the top right part of the music player section. And then from there, select the speakers or headphones that I want the sound to come through. In my case, picking either the AirPods or the AirPods Pro. All finished, he says, no mucking about. The only caveat I would add is to either have the AirPods in your ears or have their case at least open when you do this just to make sure that they appear in the list. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I like it. That's good. That's good. Yeah, that I have found that that is the way, like if I want to AirPlay to speakers in my house. Even if I want to airplay from a different app, uh, we've been recording a lot of new songs with my band fling. And so my, uh, files actually are easily, most easily accessible in the files app. So I, I get, I navigate to the file in the files app. And then before I hit play, I do this trick. I go and choose, you know, say my living room airplay speaker, which is a sono speaker, but it's all airplay nowadays. And, uh, And I choose that there, even though it's for the music app, once I choose it there, then I can play and it comes out those speakers airplay, which is great. Yeah, it's a it's a handy little thing. So, yep. Uh, One last one from last week, a little follow up. Well, sort of. Uh, We were talking about wise cams last week. We were talking about them earlier this episode. And listener Robert says, Wise recently released a special firmware update for their nineteen ninety nine Wi Fi camera, nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents, I should say, uh, that converts them into USB webcams. And if you've looked and tried to buy a webcam, they're tough to find right now. They ain't available because mm. everybody's buying them for their Zoom meetings because. Your Mac's camera is, and and I think this is true of most Windows machines too. The the ones built in are just fifteen frames a second, and you want that nice smooth thirty frame a second video. So, uh, he says they've they've put out this firmware updates for their twenty dollar Wi-Fi camera. Converts them into a webcam. We'll put a link in the show notes, of course. It says the resulting image is way better than the basic webcam built into many uh, laptops and desktop Macs. Uh, you just need a micro SD card upon which to load the firmware and it is reversible if you want to go back. So you load the firmware onto the micro SD card, you put it into the camera to to sort of force it on there and then, uh, and then, you know, you're good to go. You don't have to leave the, the, um, the micro SD card in the camera after the fact, so you can put it back in your camera or wherever else you were using it. You also need, and this is the weird part, a USB a to USB a cable, which is not all that common. To have A on both ends, because that's kind of dangerous. You wouldn't necessarily, well, I guess you would use that if you were using target disk mode on a Mac with USB-A cables, between Macs with USB-A cables. I think that's a thing. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, for 20 bucks for the camera and probably another, you know, 15 for the cable, that's still a pretty cheap webcam, and it's available, which is the key. So, I like it. I like it. I like it. Thoughts uh, Thoughts on that, Mr. Braun? Uh nope, oh! Nope. Okay. I'm almost set on webcams. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> those wise cams are pretty cool. Uh, it, everything they make is pretty cool. They're little switches and everything. They're just they're priced really really well. So mm-hmm. I like what those folks are doing. It's good. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week, Mister Braun. I think. I think. Mm-hmm. You know. I hope. Yeah, well, you know, we we <laughs> can only go for so long, and then and then we've got to uh, and then we've got to you know move on. Gotta go back to doing all the things that we're doing, which is you know, it's fun stuff to do. I like it, mm-hmm. it's fun. I do, um, I want to take a minute. I'm pulling it up here right now. Uh, we haven't done this in a few episodes, so I want to take a minute and thank the folks who uh, have recently uh, contributed to our Mac Geekab Premium program. And so, I'm going to do this in real time here on our outro. Uh, we have, and, and there, there are two programs. I'm going to thank people sort of just in mass here, but there's a monthly program where you can contribute a, a fixed amount every month, or there's an every six month program where you can contribute an amount every six months. That's your choice. However you like to do it. And then there's also, you can just do a one-time thing. And I believe we have gotten Apple pay working with a hundred percent of these, which is awesome. So, uh, going through, I want to uh, thank Thomas from Kansas, Joshua from uh, Alabama, uh, Abdullah from Maryland, James from San Antonio, Jim from Myrtle Beach, uh, Doctor Mac from Working Smarter for Mac Users in Austin. Uh, Peter from Auburn, Brian from Ocean City, Nick from Mount Clemens, Daniel from San Diego, Andrew from uh, Bellingen, New South Wales. I think I've got that right. Uh, Let's see. Charles from Midlothian, Brian from Walton Hills, John from Sonora. David from Nashville, Neil from West Hartford, Robert from Paso Robles, Peter from Fort Myers, Craig from New Lambton, also in New South Wales, that's interesting, uh, Scott from Columbia, Mark from Milford, Paul from Fishers, Ward from Mesa, Luann from Albuquerque, Gary from Babylon, Lou from South Burlington, Jason from Charlestown, Stilianos from Appison, Tennessee, Olga from Bellevue, Everett from Marina, Stephen from Costa Mesa, Robert from Clearwater, Mark from New Palestine, and Ed from Torrance. Thank you so much to all of you. You rock. You rock. And uh, I think we found a better way to do this, so we're going to do this. I'm going to try and get back in the habit of doing this every episode. So thank you to all of you. Thanks, of course, to our sponsors, linocom slash MGG, barebones.com, and mac.cashfly.com. Uh, John, anything you want to add before we uh, go on our way here?
0: <clears throat> nope. Thank nope. you to all our listeners, though.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, thanks to everybody. Thanks for sending in all your questions and your tips. Thanks to uh, my mother. Thanks to my wife for being the mother to our kids. We are recording this on Mother's Day. So thanks to all the mothers out there for doing all the great things that, uh, that you have done and will do and currently do and all that stuff. So yeah. Thanks to your mom too, John. Yeah. Oh, I got to call. I got to remember to call. That's right. Yeah. I'll thank my stepmom too. Peach. <clears throat> so there you go. Uh, happy mother's day to everybody, even though this is being released a day late. So it's awesome. All right. That's what we got. Thanking, of course, our ongoing sponsors, in addition to the ones we mentioned, smilesoftware.com slash podcast, eero.com slash mgg, sales.com. And we've got a couple more coming on board. Some interesting things. Fun stuff. We made it, John. This time. Yeah. Almost, though. I, I, did, I did get caught in the middle, but, you know, we, we made it past it, so. That's good. Do you have any advice to share with people? You got us into this mess today, John. Yeah, I'll get us out of it. And the way I'm going to get us out of it
0: is to make sure that we don't get caught. That's right.
1: Made on of-